0: When Broderick, Katie, and I prepare to preach, the first thing we do is look at the biblical lessons or think about the liturgical season, such as Advent that we're in. I'm not going to do that this Sunday morning because it's an annual meeting Sunday and our vestry election, which we've just had, and I use the sermon this day to preach a, a sermon that also functions as my report, which is what I think of as my Creative way of killing two birds with one stone if you 'll forgive an unchristian metaphor so i 'm not going to talk about the lessons, which also feels like total rebellion for me, which is not a bad feeling i 'm kind of enjoying it um, <laughs> and in years past at the annual report i 've talked about what 's upcoming in, in the coming years and i 'm not going to do that either. I just feel called this year to talk about. Things that are more immediate, things we're facing literally in the coming weeks and months this year so as not to get too far ahead of ourselves so that we don't miss what God is sending us right now. Last summer, and I so associate it with summer and the coming of warmer weather, and it brought not just more sunshine and higher temperatures and all of that good stuff, it also brought to the cathedral grounds, more people experiencing homelessness who are camping. I'm sure many of you noticed it started last summer. There are all kinds of, of course, complex legal questions that are above my head that the city and government faces about all of that. Um, But what I'm certain of is that what St. John's Cathedral always wants to do is to be compassionate and wise we, um, as we've gotten into winter months, it's, it's waxed and waned, but we're now up to 14 people who are camping on our grounds. And one of the, the nice things we've been able to do that's been a kind of breakthrough in the last month is work with one of our closest partners and friends here in Denver, and that's the St. Francis Center. The St. Francis Center is an Episcopal nonprofit that for a few decades has worked with people experiencing homelessness. St. Francis Center was founded by several people, but the person who had a a big hand in it is Bert Womack, um, the former interim Dean of this cathedral who happens to be seated next to his wife, Joanne, and in our first row of chairs here this morning. Um, St. Francis does does great, great work here and uh, great friends of ours. They have someone on their staff named Jim Bobberschmidt, who's the director of outreach. And Jim and his team have just completed um, meeting individually with the 14 people who are camping on our grounds. The goal here is to make sure they're very aware that there are shelters available to get to know them as well and see what their needs are and get them connected with people if they desire it, who can be of, of help to them. Um, a huge piece of our mission as an urban cathedral is to, um, to face this as, as, as carefully and wisely and compassionately as we can. One of the great blessings of this place is that we have members of our community who worship with us regularly, who are experiencing homelessness, and it's a huge piece of our ministry, and I commend it to your prayers and to your thoughts. Very much so related, I want to give an update on the St. Francis Apartments at Cathedral Square, which is across the street. Um, St. Francis Apartments opened only two years ago, which I sometimes fear that we forget that it's only two years. It's like a two-year-old. So we're helping it to grow, and, and it needs more time. Very happy to report that that relationship is strong and is growing between St. Francis Apartments and the cathedral um, here. They have a, a licensed clinical social worker who oversees the apartments. Her name is Kathy Carfray. She's there just about every day. She's wonderful. One of the most powerful things that I thought happened during the stewardship season last fall is that Kathy was one of our stewardship speakers, and she was, was compelling and wonderful. In the last month, um, unusually the, the St. Francis apartments have suffered from, from five deaths, different causes, but it's been a lot for them emotionally, um, and as you might imagine, and a lot for, for Kathy to face. And I was absolutely honored when two weeks ago she called me and asked me to officiate a memorial service for, for one of um, the persons they had lost, a Melbourne tall man, God rest his soul. They um, did a memorial service there, and it was really lovely, and I was honored to be asked, and I anticipate there'll be more of that for Broderick, Katie, and Mar- myself. So that relationship is, is growing and good. At our last men's retreat, we had a, a gentleman from St. Francis Apartments who attended the retreat, and we're we're doing all we can to make sure they know they're always invited, not just to church, but to to be a part of our community and our programs. There's a monthly meal that's just wonderful. Um, Sometimes it's cooked in our kitchen, sometimes in theirs, that a parishioner named Fran Trujillo oversees. Fran's really the, the glue of this relationship. She's a Wise parishioner, and if you ever want to join us for that that meal or or get involved, just see me or Fran, and we will absolutely connect you. I searched all week for a a, a, a creative transition from that subject to the next, which is the financial health of the cathedral, and I never found one <laughs> so you're going to have to move a little a little quickly with me in your mind from from uh, one. Important subject to another. I also have a lot of good news to report about our financial health. Um, We for 2020, for this year, have received 72 new pledges. That's 72 people who've never pledged before to the cathedral who are newer to the cathedral. That's remarkable. Um, for, for any parish in this country, it's the most I've ever seen. And I give thanks to you. For those of you who are new pleasures, good for you. And God bless you. Uh, I know that our, our um, financial gifts are, it's a, it's, it's a spiritual practice, giving. And it's a part of offering all that we are and all that we have at our Lord's altar. Two years ago, two years ago, the audited deficit at the end of the year for one year for this place was $914,000. We've now balanced the budget. And there are only two ways to do that. And the first of which, pledges have increased on the, last, the previous two years by about 11%. So you're deserving of that applause, so to speak. Um, raising pledges here is essential. We've also eliminated five full-time positions from our staff, and we've cut expenses by about well over half a million dollars. So it's come both raising pledges and from from cutting expenses. Looking ahead, what we see, we it's essential that we raise more in pledges now, perhaps more than ever, but but certainly more so than the last. Um, Half century. Pledges fund the vast majority of what we do. Um, Pledges largely determine the level of staff we'll have and what we'll be able to do. And that's because we live within our means and we believe that too is a spiritual practice. Looking ahead... In order to to keep cuts minimal going forward, we have to raise more in pledges. And I, I see, as I've done this now for almost three years, two big opportunities for us. And the first is this. I see a lot of people who pledge simply the same amount they pledged last year. And I just have a sense that some of those people can do more. I've prayed about it. But really, I want you to pray about it. <laughs> <laughs> and if that's w- where you are for all sorts of, of, of reasons, of course, thank you so much. And I completely, completely understand. But if you're able to make significant increases this year and in the years to come, please do so. It will have go a long way toward determining what we're able to do um, as a parish and the amount of staff that we're able to have. The second opportunity I sense is I sense that a number of people, although we've got 72 new pledges, that a number of people don't pledge because they think that their pledge is too small. Let me assure you that it is not. All of those pledges add up fiscally. All of those pledges matter spiritually. We offer all of it symbolically, at the, offer, at the altar each and every week as a part of communion. So just know, no pledge for us is too small. And the inverse is true. <laughs> Growing up in the South, I had friends um, who were all different uh, denomin- Christian denominations. And, and you would if you spent the night on a Saturday night, you would usually go to church on a Sunday morning. So I had this incredible, um, incredible memory. I have these incredible memories of all these church visits to various denominations, assemblies of God, all different kinds. And I, I remembered recently going to, f- to church once um, with a Baptist friend. And something dramatic and I think I thought kind of unusual happened. They took the collection during the service. And the collection as it was coming forward, there was a dramatic... Um, anthem and the, and, the, and the board of deacons was there and the preacher preached about it and the, the offering came forward. And then, then there was the sermon and some prayers and then near the, what I thought was going to be the end of the service, the, the preacher announced that the collection was not big enough. <laughs> and so he and the the Direct, the organists were clearly on the, the same page. So, so they just did it again and the organist just kept playing and there was an anthem and there was a, another hymn. And I looking back on it, I didn't wonder this at the time, but I so wonder this now, if that was that an audible? like did they literally not know so the deacons count in the back and got the word to the preacher? or was that the plan all along? Who knows? Long story short, I almost asked Michael and Joseph if we could do that this Sunday. (laughs) But I knew the answer, so I didn't ask. But I will say this. um, Pledge cards are in the pews. (laughs) I wrote the simplest, quickest announcements in the back of your leaflet about giving online or emailing your pledge to Audrey. It's, It's quick and easy. And let me tell you this. Let's do this now. Now, as in this morning, you can write your pledge out and I won't pay attention. and You can not pay attention to anything else. Get online, give electronically this afternoon or tomorrow. We have an opportunity, and I hope you feel it. Um, and the opportunity is to share the gospel and Episcopal community with more and more people. We have um, an incredible staff. I'm the luckiest priest in this church to work with, in the the Episcopal Church, to work with the team of people I work with. Forgive me for another not having a segue to this next point. You see about 10 of us on Sunday mornings, the three clergy, of course, the two musicians, uh, Michael and Joseph, who are great souls, Emily Smith, who is our devoted sacristan, You also see um, the dynamic duo, Tina and Christina, who oversee everything from nursery all all the way through adults on formation. Evans Owsley is our communications associate. And last but not least, on Sundays, um, in terms of full-time, Georgie Brooks-Myrtle, who's our new cathedral administrator. They do a marvelous job. On staff, Monday through Friday, whom you don't always see, Audrey Chapman, our director of operations, the smartest person I've ever worked with. Chris uh Chris Jenkins, a devoted accountant who's been with us more than 25 years. Billy Baker, who does the service leaflets and a and hundred other things, who's literally the best storyteller I've about ever heard. Um you can't tell us stories from the pulpit because that wouldn't be appropriate. <laughs> and is is the memory of the staff, and that's a, a holy, holy job. Dan Robertson is our um, Sexton, and it's just devoted to, to not just the, our people, but to this place. It's a, a staff, um, it's, it's a remarkably talented group of people. And if you've ever had the pleasure of working with talented people, what's great about working with talented people is they're not competitive because they know what they're good at. And so they're, they're relaxed, and they're collaborative, and they're collegial. This group has the best sense of humor I've ever been around. I think of them sometimes um, as being lean and mean, but really, since we're in church, we're lean and spiritual. <laughs> and I'm profoundly grateful to work with all of them. They are the best company as we travel on this ship, which is St. John's Cathedral, into unchartered waters. When you see them, when you have the opportunity, um, give them a pat on the back. Get to know them. These are good souls and smart, smart people. Because I'm not following the lectionary, I'm going to tell you what, in the last couple of years, my favorite Bible story is. It's this moment in John's gospel. And it's the moment where um, it's the feeding of the 5,000. This parish, this cathedral is named after John's gospel. So I think it's always best to to internalize and get these stories from John's gospel if we're going to get what it means to be St. John's community and cathedral. In this moment, Jesus has been teaching. Everybody's gathered there. And it becomes clear to everyone that people are now hungry not just for the bread of teaching. They're hungry. And Jesus prepares the apostles to feed the people, which is absolutely ridiculous because there's not enough food. Andrew, who's frustrated and confused, but yet obedient and doing his best, scans the crowd, looking around, trying in desperation to figure out what in the world he should do. Jesus says something to the apostles. It's like, what what do we have to to give? And, And Andrew says to Jesus, there's a boy here who's got five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? And I can only imagine his tone of voice as he looked at Jesus in the eye, feeling like he was in the most impractical situation in the entire cosmos. Jesus basically says, bring them to me. And then John, John loves these asides. Um, Jesus tells the apostles, tell the people to sit down. And then John says, there was an abundance of grass in that place. So they sat down, which is totally irrelevant. (laughs) Except when you remember that no one wants to sit on the dirt. And he takes the five barley loaves and the two fishes, and he gives thanks for them, and he blesses them, And everybody eats as much as they want. And then Jesus says, what I think is is up there, maybe the most profound thing he says in the four gospels. He says, and I think he was probably talking to Andrew and us. He says, gather up all the fragments that are left over, every crumb, so that nothing will be lost. Nothing will be lost. My prayer and hope for all of us is so simple and it's really just about the next few weeks and months. I hope we become very aware that what we have to offer really matters to God. I hope we become really aware that that's not just Andrew speaking to Christ. That's the question we so often in our lives ask. I, I have just this little bit. What is that? What is that, Christ, in the midst of all that we face? And may we learn, as we have that dialogue with Jesus the Christ, may we learn how much it is that we really have to offer. And I'm not just talking about money, but I am talking about that hearts, stories, tender feelings. And may we also realize just as profoundly how much we have to receive. And like Andrew and saints of old, may we discover that when we offer to Christ what we have, it becomes so much more than we ever could have imagined or predicted.